I'm Graham McLean, the head of the Velpo Mountain Biking in Scotland. On today's podcast, we're delighted to be joined by Dick Hamilton as we go for a walk through some of the trails that he's built in Glentress Forest. Um, Dick has grown up his whole life in Inelethan and the Tweed Valley. He's been heavily involved in building some of the most amazing trails within the area and has had a lifetime on bikes. He's seen how mountain biking's changed and how mountain biking's changed the valley. I'm sure you'll enjoy Dick's insights and our chat today and as always help spread the good word by giving us a wee like and a share as well. Enjoy. Hi Dick, thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much for asking me Graham. No it's a pleasure. So um, Dick yeah you've uh, grown up your whole life in Innerleithen. Yeah, uh, born and bred there um, since 1966. Since that famous year. <laughs> <laughs> but Scotland beat England there. Yeah. I'm not sure that was the year was we beat England. Sixty-seven, we was absolutely gubbed them. Ah, Aye, we absolutely gubbed them in sixty-seven. Something else happened in sixty-six, which I don't think's ever no. been mentioned before. <laughs> <laughs> but there. So um, yeah, you grew up in Inverleithen there, and then quickly, quickly getting the bikes when you're growing up there. Um, push bikes. We always rode push bikes since we were kids, like. Um, Grew up in the farm with two older brothers that were, I think I was maybe about eight or nine when they got the first motorbikes. So we're more into motorbikes than uh, push bikes. Like. There's a motorbiking scene, big. Huge. Back then. Ah, it was really big. I mean, the, the, the numbers in the Leithen light, there wasn't a lot of folk, maybe. It was all trials of mine to the late 70s. My brothers were riding the trails bikes, um, and we used to, like we brought up in the farm and that, we would have a trial maybe once a month, just locally with the local guys, and then there'd be one at the old dump in Leithen maybe once a month and all, and then there were some guys from Traquea, so there'd be like just a muck about trail set up some sections and that, but that was too wee then to ride the bikes, but I used to just love it, I used to love going watching them all. That's how, and then when I was 12, I got my first motorbike. Uh, I worked all summer on the farm for my dad and managed to save up and I bought a, a wee trail bike, a TS125 Suzuki, that I converted into an enduro bike. Because we used to have, there was a lot of motorbike events in the forest round here, so we used to have a British two-day, Melville two-day. And you would have all the best guys in Britain coming to that. So we used to go and spectate. It was held up at uh, Traquea Forest and Elibank Forest. And it was pretty big um, at that time. And then we had the Scottish series. And there were a lot of forests used back then. Right through to probably the 90s, I think. Early 90s. So Inleithen, Traquea, uh, Air Forest was used. We raced in uh, Caberston, uh, Cadrona, um, Cloyke, where else? And then there was a few down, uh, down at Hoyke, there was Walkup Forest and there was Creek Forest. So that's how I started going up the hills. I've been going up the hills in two wheels for over 40 odd years now, like I'm getting old. Like. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, end. Yeah, you know that kind of motorbike scene as well. You know, did that kind of that quite naturally led into riding mountain bikes then, did it? 
But Kenny did. Uh, my oldest brother, Mark, he was right into push bikes all his days and he rode motorbikes. He had done, I think he did a couple of races uh, in the Enduros like. But he was really into push bikes. He always had road bikes and he had he was the first mountain biker I ever knew. I ever met in my life was my brother, he was a mountain biker. And that I mind is I bought my first ever mountain bike in 1987, I think it was. It was a specialised rock hopper. And I bought it off my brother. And I don't think I ever used it. I went to, and I think I bought it at the end of 87. And I ended up going out to Australia uh, to race motorbikes in 88. And I came back. I think I was out there for three months or something. And when I came back, I just sold it. I, I, couldn't understand why you'd want to go up a hill on a push bike. <laughs> Just couldn't figure that out. And then probably I left the farm in '93, I think it was. Started up my own business and um, had more time to do stuff. So I ended up, my brother always had a bike at my mum's house, so I just pinched that one time and it went out with my friend uh, Ali Robertson, who was right into mountain biking then. And that summer, I was really quiet. I think it was August, it was a brilliant summer, like, so I had two weeks off or three weeks off on a little road. I think I went out my brother's bike maybe three or four times, and up to people up to Edinburgh. I think it was McDonald's Cycles in Edinburgh, a rally, and I bought a rally, Dynotech or something. Fully rigid thing, like, and just got absolutely hooked in it. So I probably started riding bikes properly about 95, I think. Uh, and then got a kind of got into racing in '96, done some cross countries, and then that was the first year I think we had a downhill at Inlethan. Um, so, I probably from about the middle '90s, I got into mountain biking properly. And uh, <coughs> was that, I think, the, that first downhill was that at the golf? Is that right? No, it no. was at Inlethan. Was that at your So, it was, it was just a kind of Scottish round, if I mind right. And it was Stan Ferguson, he used to have pro bike sport. He was a massive influence back then and what happened, Ethan basically, he was a, a driving force and like having, making the mountain bike sport a lot bigger down over there. I don't know if you can mind, Damn, you ever meet Stan now? So he had pro bike sport and he worked offshore like and opened a bike shop in Ethan. I don't know when that, maybe 94, 95, so I got to know him. He was right into cross country and done a couple of cross country races in 95 or 96, 96 I think it was. And then that downhill race came and I was just like, aha, this is for me. I loved that, like, yeah. There's a bit of crap in it, to be fair, like, <laughs> it was good fun. Uh, so, like, when I first started riding, what we did was just ride Forestry Roads and I couldn't understand why do I do that because we had a massive network of trails, single track trails for the motorbikes. Yeah. Um, so I was just like, right guys, come on, we're going ride off-road stuff, no, no Forestry Roads like this, mountain biking's fish, riding Forestry Roads like <laughs> So that's, and I think that time when that event came round, Tom had asked us to come up with him with the organiser to see if you could set up something quite decent for the for the racetrack and uh, showed them, I think it was an old special test for the motorbikes God, for about 1989 or something and uh, so they kind of used some of that 
and finished in the field where the EWS finished this year. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that was kind of the start of the racing anyway. That's good, and then <coughs> from there as well, I guess getting into racing and doing stuff, did that combine with you kind of, did you end up getting into kind of construction and doing stuff as well professionally? Is that tie in with that kind of time? Um, kind of. Um, kind of. I never ever seen it as building trails, I suppose. Like, I'd, I'd built a couple of with the machine anyway. I mind I built a section, there was a company called, I think it was Clockworks Cycles, and they were based in Leithman, and they were a, an events company. And I think that was run by Keith Jones and Chris Cole, I think their names were. And they wanted to do a wee bit of work on the hill. They'd created a bus stop at the bottom of... Well, they wanted to create a bus stop at the bottom of the 39 steps. And I was like, ah, I could take my machine up there and scart about. So I had a... Well, it was a bobcat skid steer, like, but I had different implements for the front there, and I had a backhoe, so I could do... It was like a wee digger type thing. So I'd done my first ever bench cart there in... Probably in 97, I think. About 20 metres, and that was probably the first machine-built bit of trail in Scotland at the time, I okay. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, uh, and was that, did you get into construction? Have you been kind of into construction your kind of whole life? Was that kind of part of growing up on the farm, or does uh, that end up being a job? Or? Driving machines, basically, for when I was a wee laddie, right? Um, so I worked on the farm for about 10, 11 years, and it was just, you had no life, absolutely no life. I don't care how my brother still does it, like. Right, this morning I woke up at four and I heard his Land Rover go away. He's calving down at um, his farm at Lockerburn. And then he was, I, mean, I heard him coming back about quarter to five, and that would be him milking cows. And then probably he'll not finish till seven or eight o'clock at night the night, so. He's just into farming, I wasn't he? I was into riding motorbikes. That's all I wanted to do, was riding motorbikes. So I left the farm and I had. Like I say, a skid steer loader and I used to uh, muck out cattle sheds and sheep sheds, hen sheds, all that kind of stuff. Wherever there was shit, there was money sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and at that time, like I wasn't, it was very seasonal work. So I used to go and work with Glendin and Groundworks, driving machines for them. and. Uh, uh, they've done a lot of utilities, so water, rainwater mains, forest roads, and just all sorts of anything to do with groundworks. And that's kind of how I got into that side of the construction side, or groundworks side. And then when you first took the, those machines, that kind of knowledge in building your first bit of machine built trail, what was the reaction of the kind of, the kind of riding scene? To that, to be fair, I doubt anybody noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I think when it really kicked off with the, the machine side, uh, um, uh, well, I built a dual track on my brother's farm at Westbold. This was probably 90, the dates in that, maybe 97, 98. And it was like, used it as a Scottish round just for a dual race, for the Scottish champs type thing. So we've done that for three years, every three years, and it started to get better and better, got a better idea how to build jumps and that. 
fact, I think the last time I'd done it, the last track we bought was the Craig Hardy for Dunfermline. He was had Craig uh, Hardy cycles. Yeah. And Simon Harrison, they were really good BMXers back in the day. So I learned a lot for them for how to build jumps. And and then when they built another, I think it was maybe a quad track at the bottom of the Dune Hall courses. That was with machines again, and that was with Johnny Beckett from Descent World. Yeah. So he was an XPMXer and all. And they used that for the British Champs, I think, maybe 2000. And then for there, uh, Pete Lang had been building, or Glendinning Groundworks, had been building all the trails in Glentress in 2001. Uh, I knew Peter for the motorbike days. And 2002, he'd asked, well, he got Walter in and spoke to him and said if I could come up and do some stuff and go and trace. So they'd been building for a year, I think, up to that point. They'd done a lot of stuff. Uh, so the first year I came, that was probably February I started with the machine, and uh, they probably went back over everything they built. Changed a lot of stuff, like uh, so. That would be a wee while ago now. Like, but what? Uh -huh. What Can you remember what trails it was then that you that you put in there? Well, the first one I ever did was from the Farlebury car park with the goat path. Goat. Yep. Car park down to the very end. Aye, aye, aye. And I can mind because <laughs> it's basically the same as building forestry roads. Like, okay, you strip the topsoil, build up the base, and finish it off. Like, it was just a. It was just like a wee forest road, like. And uh, so that time I think, oh, man, we could do more. We could do a lot more with this kind of stuff, like. And, uh, but the Peter at that time just wasn't he? He wanted different to be like wheels, which was all pretty flat and samey, samey. So that's how I ended up in going dress, like building trails for the, for the machines. And um, I mean, knowing that section there, I don't think it's changed hugely no, over the years. And no. like, I guess what you maybe put into that as well was that, like, knowing that section, uh, well, it's got a lot of flow and feel, and you're kind of cutting by the trees and you're pulling in yeah. around and getting tucked into it. Well, it was funny because they asked me to build it for the bottom up. I was a bit like, didn't get that. When they figure out in my head, why would you want to build the trail the wrong way? So we did that anyway, and after that, I was like, look, Ken, to me, in my head, it's easier to build the trail the way you're going. So that, once you started doing that, in my head, it became a lot, lot easier uh, to get the flow in that. Then I think maybe we went to that first year we were in, uh, what do you call it, Magic Mushroom. And we done that section at the bottom. Like, there was a trail in there already, but we redone it all and we put our, put our first kind of berms in. Decent sized berms, like. And then, what else did we do after that? And did, uh, did riders get it? I, I think so. Um, like I was wondering about when they built these trail, uh, built a section up at um, the Boundary Trail. So that was Dougie Rennick had built that in Glendinning Groundwaters the year before. And he'd put berms in and they weren't very big. <clears throat> but the big issue there was that they were lying full of water when it rained. 
So they had to figure out how to create these berms. We've actually just walked past one, like. It's like that berm there. It's like a fallen berm. Ah, right, let's go back to this, aye. Just go back so, to this and... Yeah, right, we're, just um, now we're on good game... Uh, no, no good game. What's this here? Berm, baby, berm. We've got this stick, aye. Berm, baby, berm, aye. So, like, this is a kind of fallen corner. So the water runs out the bottom, whereas the berm just there, there's a pipe goes underneath the berm and out the other side. And that was kind of, you know, my ideas was you could create these berms that were going down and back up. You had a pipe in the inside going right underneath the berm and that would take the water out and you wouldn't have the issue of building up the water. Like. Right. You see a lot of that now with the hand cut stuff. Is like they're building berms, but they're filling up the water. Yeah. And with a machine, it's easy. It was. Right, it's easy. Easier. Easier today. Easier. But there's a lot of work involved. So that was, I think for me, that was quite a game changer. That you could build these trails with nice corners and no having an issue of building up the water. So there was a few different techniques that we were using. And getting back to the, the riders. Enjoying it, appreciating it. it. Aye, I think so, aye, absolutely. Like, so, um, Glen Trace just got nuts. Aye. Like, absolutely nuts. Like, so when we built, even Electric Blue, we were building bits, we even building a jump. Folk were like, yeah, hey, this is great. Like, like folk were just, aye. Um, and then, I think it was 2000. And, so we went down to Leithan in 2000. And, End of 2003, and we were building a lot of trails then. So we built a cross country trail then, around the Leithan. Built a razor, was it razor rock, plora rig? And that was a really rocky, techy stuff. And we've done a lot of stone pitching then, which was so time consuming, like, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Andy Warman done a lot of stone pitching down there, if I mind right, and, and Peter himself, like. Uh, I was doing a lot of it, but I was doing it with the machine. I was cheating a bit, like, because uh, mm-hmm. it was so time. You were only doing maybe ten meters a day. So on average, I mean, I'm building like see this burn baby burn. I'm doing everything myself, like so. I'm doing all the machine work and doing all the the raking and all the plating. Right. Uh, and I can roughly do. I'll do about a hundred meter finished a week, like. Uh. But when we first started building trail, it was just a case of. Um, we weren't even, we were just using that as dug back then. I would be putting in 80 to 100 metres, sometimes over 100 metres of trail a day, like. Oh. So, aye, there was a big change when we started to build features, berms, rollers, and jumps. It started taking a lot, lot longer to do, like. Um, but I guess had more reward for riders and more oh, people aye. people are appreciating that and want yeah, to see yeah, that because they yeah. get that, that feeling of flow coming yeah. in and through and in the trail. Absolutely. So I think one of the big game changers I know was I think when we built, built um, Cadden Bank, they had seen anything like that at that time. So that was 2000, started at 2003, the end of 2003, so it was finished. I think it was finished about March, April. So it took us about six months to build that and it was the same again. That was a dodgy. One of the dodgiest jobs I've ever done because <laughs> it was so steep that banking. Yeah. And when you and we were kids, when they, when they cut that forestry road in, there was actually a really bad rock roll. Some of those rocks were falling down and actually landing in the tweed. Ooh, that's so, a long way. <laughs> so at that time, Peter Lang had marked that trail out for us to build it. And I was a bit like, this is dodgy, Pete. <laughs> so we got our boss up, like Walter Glendinning, 
he was like, ah, it is a bit dodgy. And we actually went, all the machines I used before, that was five tanners. And they were, um, we gave you five tanners, they were great wee machines. And for there we went to uh, Fiat Cabelco seven tanner. And it was, a shape, it was the same kind of style as a normal big digger, so I had the, the lifting arm up beside it. Yep. And we stuck on a tilter onto the quick hitch. That was the same again, that was a big game changer. Like. So with that machine I could, uh, and it was a zero tail swing, for all it was, I think it was like two, 2.1 metres wide, I could still go through the same corridors as you would with the five tonner, because the five tonner wasn't a zero tail swing. So when you swung out, the back end would go past the tracks, if you know what I mean. Yep. Uh, kind so of. Going to <laughs> so going to the seven tonner, zero tail swing, that was like a big jump. You could shift a lot more back, uh, dig better, bigger pits, build it. It was just so much easier to use. And that did that mean you could just navigate the trail corridor easier, make it narrower? or? Well, we didn't make it any narrower because the machine was a lot wider. Yeah. But it was still the same size of corridor, like going through these two trees here, like you squeeze through, I think I squeeze through here, I would have done like uh, um, And then building Cadden Bank, uh, aye Cadden Bank was a game, oh, I just thought Cadden Bank was a good trail, like, uh, it's I had the big it. drops at the top and super fast. Like, aye. Uh, aye. Like I say, that was, that was a tough job that like, because it was we had a few issues with stumps taken off and we didn't have much problems with the rock like we had to use um, shattering uh, sheets at the top had to bang them in so when we were digging out if any rocks did take off we only went as far as the shattering sheet right shattering sheets <laughs> and then once we got further down we got into the brass you could build brass up and out with all the stains back the stones back <laughs> and then, I think when we finished that trail, I actually put a fence right above the road just in case there was any rock crawl from like the uh, branches rotting away and rocks rolling down further on. Like, but that I can back was good. Like, and then for there, and we remade Spooky Wood, so there was a Spooky Wood there originally, and it was just the same kind of idea. It was flat, there was no berms, no jumps, nothing like that. There was maybe a couple of e jumps. So we'd learned a lot for um, building the stuff in Cadden Bank and then we went and built Spooky Wood. Uh, Spooky Wood was a bit of a game changer as well, uh, wasn't it? It was massive. <laughs> it was pretty nuts, like, yeah. So, you could just see every weekend, we used to go up and ride at Glen Tress every weekend, here enough, me and my mates and that. And kind of, it just got busier and busier and you know, had the hub. The hub in the forest with the cafe and that, that was like a big thing and all, like having a cafe on site. Yeah. And then they opened up a bike shop and hire stuff and that and just went mad, eh? Absolutely mad. Just the scene building from that. Yeah. And then as we're kinda hiking up the hill here, we've got the on the left hand side here, we've got the free ride area. Did that come after that? Aye, that we think we started that two thousand and Five in 2005, so the same again, there was a free ride there originally, but it was, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't the best. Aye. But before that, I think we actually built a skills loop on us, so we did that, that was one of the first jobs, I think that was maybe in 
2002. Maybe that was right near the start, like, we built the skills loop. I'm jumping a bit over the place. I know, that's how it's it 20 years ago, but it's. Uh, and then now the, the free ride. So I think it. I don't know what year it was. Basically, Peter would come in, he would mark a trail. We would discuss what was like, what grade it was, what it was on on it. Now we just go and build it. And I think Peter got busy elsewhere. And they're no cheap these designers like. And what they had was me was a digger driver that could uh, build trails like. Yeah. So like when Glendinnings were getting an invoice and it was just for a digger and a digger driver. It wasn't like a trail builder or anything like that. Yeah. So I suppose in a way it was cheaper for them to get ready Peter and, and get me to do everything sort of thing. So So is that when, when were you still working for Glen Dinnings? Still with Glen Dinnings. And they were then. contracting yeah. you into them building yeah. For, yeah. And so, forestry commissions it was then. Yeah. I think two thousand and five, like I say, I think that was when they started the free ride. And uh same again, I didn't know that myself. Um there was no CDM or nothing like that. I was just going, oh, the trail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so all the timber stuff and that, it's something like Tracy from the hub. I helped her and she built all the timber stuff. So there's a couple of wall rides, a box and all that stuff and lifted everything in. And then the jump line, uh, I just I just built all that myself. like. But it was that, was quite, that was quite progressive for its time as oh, well, wasn't aye, it? Absolutely, because they had counters in that when they first opened. Right. It was nuts. Aye. Nuts how many folk were riding it. And folk would come up to the buzzers part there and just chill out there for the day almost. Like. Yeah, yeah, it came a scene in itself, didn't it? Yeah. And uh, in, and in terms of kind of the kind of knowledge of trying to of building the jumps and getting that in place as well, did that kind of, you've drawn back to this kind of early motorbike BMX sort of Aye. that kind of scene I was never into BMX but the motorbike thing I had I just loved jumping things like uh, and it was funny back then what's that guy called is it Adam Brayton Gasta Flat aye aye all our jumps back then in the motocross scene was just That's jump to flat aye like it wasn't until I went to Australia that, uh, that was in 88 today a big event out there. Uh, I stayed on for another couple of months and ended up staying with a guy called Dave Armstrong who at that time was number two in Australia at the motocross and supercross. Just by chance he'd done that event, that was that. He was looking for somebody to stay in his house, he just bought himself a new house so I ended up staying with him. And uh, like he was number two in Australia at the time. So we used to go to his practice tracks like <laughs> we'd never seen. We'd seen it in kind of like the supercross stuff in America. But this was like real life in Australia, like so double jumps, triple jumps, and that scratching my head at this. Like <laughs> it was, it was pretty mental. Like so, I kind of got my head ruined that a bit. But I think in a way that kind of influenced me, like with the jumping stuff here. Right. So I realised you, know, you had to jump off, like take off a ramp and land on a dune slope, and everything was nice and smooth. Yeah. Rather this gas the flat. <laughs> so. Aye, we built uh, the free ride, and it's it's kind of built in sections. Like, so one of the things we try to do when we're building trails is control the speed. 
And another huge thing is water or drainage. Um, cutting off the, the water, you don't want running in there in 20 or 30 metres on the trail at the least. That's what, in my head, that's the kind of way it worked best. And that's obviously for erosion like. So, uh, aye, we built the, we built this wee freeride park like. And, um, I had to try to build it as safe as we can because that was one thing. Uh, with the design and that, yeah, I was always conscious because you did hear the folk getting hurt a lot, like, and uh, it's always in the back of your mind you hate to build things as safe as you can. But looking back now, I think with the bikes, we didn't have dropper seats back then, yeah. so we built this free ride. And you watch it at the weekend, there were guys going down with the seats away up in the air, like this pile driving themselves into the ground, like, yeah. You didn't get that now as much, no. because you've got the droppers on, eh? Yeah, like seat yeah. droppers. Yeah, yeah, feels more, feels more BMXy underneath you, doesn't it? Yeah, aye, you've got more room in that, like, aye. And the yeah, bikes are so much better. Yeah. So aye, this was designed, you almost done this, what, one, two, three, four, five, six jumps, seven, eight, and that was the top section. And then you could carry on to the rocky section further down. And folk just sessioned the top or sessioned right down to the end, pushed back up. And then it was designed so you're almost you're almost stopping and having to go again. So when when you came through these last jumps up to there, maybe this doesn't come across very well because you can't see it. No, that people I'm sure enough listeners will have been to Glen Trest and see it, and you've got that top section where you you, you jump it, you can do the burn, and you've yeah, got yeah. two or three more, right. and then you stop, and then you get the push up where you can come up halfway yeah. across and stuff, right. and you got the visual of who's coming across. So I think people will be able to point where yeah. we are sitting standing looking down at the first section of jumps at the at the start gate kind of thing people will be able to visualize yeah. that so yeah so it was designed so you had to start for the start yeah can you couldn't really come in halfway doing yeah. that was just to stop folk from coming in halfway doing but you could start again for you once you do this one two three four five and then you could start yeah. for there you'd almost have a few start points don't yeah. you aye, yeah you can exactly. gather get your mates together as well yeah see who's want to go next and do it but they're all they are the bits you have to go from aren't they yeah aye. yeah and then the whole thing about here and all was like we dug out all the soil and that and this this could all be changed tomorrow and that was always in the back of my head was to make it like so you could change things but it never ever can that never, never happen but I mean, like in terms of the, the, the soil and stuff as well, is this, is it all as dug or is it all on site stuff or did you import no, stuff? Is, well, so originally, things? when we originally built it, when I was watching, when we were building, so we went for as dug, all as dug, no plating. To plating? What does that mean? Vibrating right. plates. Okay. Yep. And the reason I used vibrating plate. plate was to seal it off, seal the ground off. So it, it kind of made a flat surface so the water could just go off the side. Whereas if you didn't plate it, the water gets in there and just washes the top stuff off. Yep. Um, like people think of, we plate it for compaction. You do for compaction. But when we worked on, we worked on the streets when we were doing uh, utilities, so laying water pipes and that, um, we'd done it at 250, 250 mile layers. When we pick, so we're digging down to 1.1 if I mind right and then it was um, 900 cover for the pipes then you put a, low, a, a, a layer of peas on to protect the pipe and then you start putting tight one on yeah. so you would build that up in three layers uh, tight one yeah. and you 
put in at 250, 250ml layers. And you only go over it eight times like with these big whacking plates. Because like, um, once you get past eight, you can't compact it anymore. Like, eh? So in my head, it was like, you can't compact it down with the digger bucket nicely anyway. And then you would go over it, seal it all off, maybe plate it four or five times at the mace. So you, you just be, would you be doing the same when you build these as well? Is just sort of layering it up? Put a layer in, aye, well, pack it down, aye, it, plate it down. You have to be so careful with your uh, materials, like you have to keep that super clean, like so you don't want any trees or branches or stumps in it, like because that'll sink. It's quite interesting. You can see where I've dug the pits out and I filled it all back in with stumps in that, and they've really sunk over the last what's that near off twenty years ago now, fifteen years ago. Um, so like getting ground preps, like to me, was one of the most important things, you know, drainage and all. And then, if you're going through the forest, like, hey, it's keeping the canopy closed. So, um, I think the last one of the last trails I done was um, for the EWS, when was that, 2000? Getting the one off the top of the mast. Aye. Yeah, Carol's Lane stuff. Aye, 2014, one out of 2013, 14. So, we built that, and that was, that was actually, we went back to how we build, how we were building trails right at the very start. So, it was just stripping the topsoil off. Digging your pits, laying that, and we're not even plating it, but we're just whacking it with a bucket. Right. And that was the same again. We went because we wanted to build a, a cheap trail to get them for the mast, right down to. Uh, right down Ho Chi Minh, and then, and then right down so we could get right yeah, down yeah. to the bottom. Uh, so that. And at the time, they were, didn't have a lot of money, a lot of funding, and that. So, same again. We were doing about, I was doing about 100 metres a day then, right finished. And that was a one pass system. So I wasn't, like normally you would rough out, so you'd rough out a corridor all the way through the trail and then go back and then build. Um, but when we just, all I did there was strip in front of me, pit it and then lay it. And is that, I mean I guess doing it up there and, and here to an extent as well, you're kind of helped by the, by that as dug material that you're building. That's dug material, we're spoiled around here. I think that's one of the, the huge things around here is that our materials are pretty damn good. Um, you go over, we've just been, well, we built some walking trails uh, in Cade Muir and Cadrona just recently, over the last few years now, like, and the material was terrible, like, you, know, you were struggling, we didn't all as dug, but you were struggling to get good material to finish it off with, mm -hmm. like the top surface. Uh, so around here, I, but we were still, that's what I was going to say, <laughs> when we were building this, this was all as dug, but what I'd Try because I was constantly trying things at that time. There was nothing. Like, I was always trying to evolve the way I was building trails, like the techniques and what we were putting into them. Um, so that time I was using as dug, but I finished it off with wind dust. So you know what mm -hmm. wind dust is? It really, really, ah, really fine. Aye, like aye, aye. Sand, like. aye. So with this job, I had a digger and I had a skid steer bobcat. So we had the stuff dropped off down there, you just ran the, um, the wind dust up here and blended it off. But it just wore down far too fast. Right. So it went straight down to the hard, uh, back down to the as-dug. But if you're looking at this just now, like this, it just went back to the, the as-dug. Right. Um, and you can see how that's all worn away. And I think maybe a, a year or so after, because I think it was maybe a year after, we went in and we changed it, so we dug it down and we laid it with 250ml of uh, tight one and a cake mix, well it was a cake mix, so it was wind dust 
um, it wasn't a tight one, it was dust to 25 mil. Uh, and but you can see, I always felt like the, the actual last dug is a lot more sustainable than it, the tight one or the cake mix because that's went down probably 250. And yeah. if we'd kept it where it was, it might not have went down as much. Like, okay. do you know what I mean? The way yeah, on yeah. it, yeah. Um, and this has been here, I mean, we've hardly done very maintenance, little maintenance. To it. It's a shame because we could, if I had the budgets in that, we'd everything retain perfect. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but it still rides nice and yeah, it, it does, still works, doesn't it? And, and uh, thing as well, and yeah, you, you see the traffic here every weekend and things as well, and it's you know it's it's still holding up twenty years later. Yeah, doing that in yeah. every sense, you know, yeah. um, from there. But um, yeah, and I guess as well, like as I kind of, I mean, I've probably got people here who who dig trails and are involved with trails associations listening as well and stuff. Is there kind of parallels, do you think, between what you've done, although mostly machine built, uh -huh. and lessons you could be learned to take into the kind of more hand dug trails? I I think the big thing is this controlling water, because if you look at, and I've been totally guilty of this in the past, like when we built we built uh, the Matador, and I used a machine for that. I just wanted to see if I could do it with machine, but it was all kind of done offline sort of stuff, like and kind of erosion there, shocking, like because yeah. it's. I can remember reading an article, this is before I got into trail building and that, and it was probably 95, and it was about the Ember, National uh, Bike Association, yeah. uh, the way that... Trail Essentials. Ah, uh, built trails things. and that, and one of the things they said was he never built a full line trail, like, yeah. And basically that's what we're doing everywhere now. <laughs> and so there's... It's funny, G was on about it, right, uh, and Professor Gant, Florida James, He'd been out for a run and he goes into the Cuddy Brig at Emilethan and the water he heard into the icy water. So after he's run it makes him feel better like. And he so was looking there and he was in for a couple of minutes and that and he noticed this brown sort of brownness in the water. And he wonder wonder where that's coming from. It was coming doing the trail, doing the walk and into the water. And uh, he was mentioning this to me yesterday. And and I was like, you should go and have a look, G, because if you go further up, you'll find out where it's coming from, like, yeah. And it looked like, so basically it was running off the top of Windy now, and going down one of the wild trails, which is about 500 mil deep now, because it's so eroded, and then onto the walking path and into the, into the water, like, yeah, which isn't the ideal, really, yeah. like, yeah. And a lot of the trails, kind of guys are building, they're like that, and... So what's the sort of techniques people can be putting in place to, to help minimise that or spread that, spread that water out? Uh, you have to. It's, this is where machine building is actually a lot easier. Because you can put proper drainage in. You can put... One of the ways we control water is by putting features in. So if you look at this spray right here, like, eh, the water can't go in the filler through there, to the bottom of the... Ah, so you got the tabletop coming up. Yeah. The water's lands on the top of the tabletop yeah. or on the downside, yeah. flows down. Right. It, it's got the and you've got an outslope, trans outslope in the yeah. in the bottom of the the between the two ah, between yeah. the two tabletops. And even and then you can get that you can create a kind of outslope. Yeah. Outslope. So, so the, right. the water drains down the hill, and you yeah. take it and you you spread it there. And yeah, yeah. You don't get the big puddle in the yeah. in the middle yeah. of that. I think that you could you could design it, but. Um, ah, it's difficult, eh? I reckon you could definitely do it. 
But I think that's probably where your um, your dirt comes into it. Yeah. Like your the what do you call the Yeah, the, sort of the, the training yeah, dirt training and trying to get kinda yeah, more people educated in different ways of of trail building and how to make the best of different situations and mm -hmm. we've got pilot courses and that running this April and May, which will be good to see I think. Yeah. But yeah, good to, to, to do that and share that. So I think um, you could transfer that knowledge from the the, the machine side to the hand cut side. Um yeah, but it's I think, not going to be the same trails. Uh, like the trails will be different. And whether people like that or no, that's a different question like so we've got a, probably, there's probably some happy mediums though, do you think? Yep, I think you could definitely find that. So definitely. we're looking at kind of rider, rider management speed, water management. Yeah. What was, I think there's one other one you said as well. Canopy. Canopy. Well, that doesn't come into it with the, because they're not cutting down big trees or that. I like see, you can get, you can get yeah. that, but you're going easier. Yeah. Because if you look at, if you stop and, like at Enelithan, well, i tell you actually, probably, on the Matador, the top section, just before you cross the road, if you stop there, there's a masses, well no masses, there's a whole lot of soil at the very bottom, like stones and all that, like that's just wash out, that's, that's no erosion for the bikes, that's erosion for water. Um, but you see that in all over the place, like uh, all over the different trails in the Tweed Valley. Now, it's no criticism to the guys that are building it because they, they just didn't can like it. Mm. I mean, they're building amazing trails, absolutely amazing trails. But to make it, I mean, everything's just muckle big, deep ruts now, like. Mm. Uh, still good fun to ride. It's just interesting. I find it super interesting. Like, yeah, you know, it, it is interesting. I think, I think to me that that to me in next phase, I'm good to get your thoughts on on the next phase. But for me, the next phase is probably a bit of that blended learning into <laughs> as well, because we, I think people don't, people want to have a level of all nine because they've got got the bikes and the capability yeah, themselves right, to ride it. Yep. But I think people will start to understand we don't want to cause environmental damage and we want to yeah. be good trail builders and we want to make things as sustainable as possible and yeah do, do you agree with that or where yeah, do you yeah, see the absolutely. future going um i think the future of e-bikes <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be far of it isn't it uh, aye, it's, all, it's all gonna feed into the same thing as well yeah, though, isn't aye. It? Aye. trail design super important when it comes to the e-bikes because i think i don't think a lot of folk have actually thought about that like um and what we both downhill and uphill? Well, I think, aye, I aye. think there's, aye, there's massive scope like for making some amazing trails, doing an up, and a, and a blind doing an up. I don't think, I don't know if people are actually real. It's funny, Danny McCaskill was on about it when it has, um, I can't remember it was just recently up north, like, and he was basically saying the dunes in the ups, like, aye. and I didn't mean it, I mean it as one continuous trail going up. But dunes and ups, yeah, and then one continuous trail going down, but up yeah. and down. No, it's it's quite like it's definitely interesting. Even riding some of the the older Seven Stains trails and the Reds and stuff, some of the Dumfries and Galloway ones, and around here on an e-bike, and I I find them a bit <laughs> riding them on my cross country bikes. I'm not not a XC athlete or anything through it. Uh -huh. um, I find them just get a little bit. Little bit of you're just pedalling a lot of the time, uh -huh. and it gets a wee bit monotonous. On an e-bike though, they just come alive, and it plays. It's funny because I thought that was going to happen here. I thought it was going to, like in my head, rejuvenate like Spooky Wood and that because Spooky Wood's pretty rough, and it's everybody's riding bigger bikes now. And if you ride when I built Spooky Wood, I done it all on a hardtail, like uh -huh. like I built that with a hardtail. 
So when I was building trails, I always had my bike with me, like trying things out as I went along. Um, so in my head, I thought, right, we've got e-bikes now at work. I thought, I'll take that up and have a shot at that. But what happens there is you, you route your, you become, what's that when you, um, kind of restricted to 25k? Aye, aye, 25k, aye, 50 miles an hour, aye. So you're actually heading outside the assistance. Yeah. So that's where I'm thinking, you could design better trails that you're never riding outside your assistance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or if you are, it's like flat out stuff, like, yeah, and then design it in a way. Because it's about controlling the speeds. I think we build it, when we're building trails, that's one of the big thoughts is like controlling speed um, and try to stop erosion, like. Because as soon as you start a braking bump, folks start braking for the braking bumps. And that's what you see it in Leithen and uh, Cabersen and that, like, is. is it's funny, I know, um, talking about the future, um, when I used to ride, when we rode Caberston originally, there was only five or six of us that rode Caberston up until, what, probably no far off ten years ago. That's all there was up that hill, and we had maybe four or five trails, uh, and now we've got a huge network of trails there. Ah, it's but a lot of stuff folk couldn't ride, eh? Mm. And I remember uh, the guys that built uh, Jobon, I think it's a... Brown Brothers kind of gang a lot like for Edinburgh I mean, they built a great trail there like but it was such a challenge to get down it if you go doing that now it's not the same trail because they've put events doing it they've taped it a wee bit different and you're doing it the hard you've actually can slow down now whereas before you couldn't slow down you just took off and it was good fun and you notice now and all a lot of the stuff in Caberston they're starting to cut out routes and the speed's starting to pick up again and it's becoming like trail centre stuff with their berms and their, I think it's, didn't I get me wrong, I think it's brilliant like but it's just interesting how it's all evolving like aye, yeah, you're, aye, you're starting to cater for the not so advanced riders doing there or no? Yeah, nothing, it's nothing static though is it? It always... No, it's great, it's brilliant. Yeah. And uh, I mean where do you think, where do you think the scene's at at the minute? I think it's at its best it's ever been. <laughs> I think... Uh, I mean, Annalise a fantastic example for that. You've got four bike shops there now. You've got, like, what, two or three brilliant cafes. You've got the EWS basing themselves there now. It's outrageous, like, yeah. When I go back, like, 20 years when we first started building the trails, that down was a ghost town, like, because all the mills had stopped, there was no employment, and it's been such a change. And I can mind, uh, we were, it was maybe 2005, I think we maybe built, or 2006, we built Maitland Brake and Emma and Tracy for the hub were there and Ross Moffat who worked for the forest at the time, he taught me masses about the trees and the forestry and how it all works and we were standing there thinking, where's this all going to go? Is this going to be another Hustler? <laughs> and we were kind of made a joke about it and I tell you, you can see that now, I mean it's It'll be different and hopefully, I mean, I, I certainly hope as well as it evolves into it, there's no doubt that for my mind it's going to get bigger and bigger and it's just important, we're constantly wrestling with this as well, that it, it doesn't lose the character as well, of the place as well. Yeah, that. as a local it's a funny one, like, um, can you go up Caberston now, it's just mobsy folk, and mm. it's, it can be, if you're, in a, if you're not in the right place in your mind, it's no good like, hey, going up and you're seeing... Uh, but it is, it's a fantastic thing. It is a brilliant thing. Aye, aye, it's just all about balance, but it's the balance of it as well, isn't it? And, yeah. and scenes will shift as well, I think, as well. Yeah. Where do you think it's all going to go? 
Um, I, I think, to, like I think, you know, even looking at the evolution of what you're saying here as well, Glentress being developed and people's getting things and then in a Ethan kind of more and more over the last, particularly over the last, uh, you know, like saying 10 years ago, not much, and then through EWS's being and going and doing and then uh, and more and more and just a, a big focus down there. But I, I think it probably needs some management, more management into the, those areas there. Yeah, and I mean, the Tweed Valley Trails Association are doing a great job as volunteers to do that. Uh -huh. But, um, uh, and, and I think that'll be an important part of, of the whole mix of that. What I'd like to see though as well is that, is that instead of it moving into a reaction zone where mm -hmm. it's, we're reacting to trails being built is yeah. that we end up working together, working with other user groups, working with landowners and planning where things should go, yeah. not not down to the micro, yeah. so that we can still get character yeah. in trails yeah. and yeah. Then it doesn't become a homogenised, standardised thing. I don't think that would do us any favours, but I, I think that planning where they should go and how they interact with others so that we can all enjoy it, it's just being good folk. And 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 then also planning and the infrastructure stuff that that isn't there at the minute and then we think it's a wee bit well is a it will be a challenge i think over until we can get some of it, the park and the toilets that's a huge thing, that thing there yeah. so, so so i think i think in a wee in itself will probably grow and will become own sort of could become more managed and that'll that'll mean that some people won't enjoy it as yeah, much yeah, yeah. but yeah. i think they'll move somewhere else and we need to plan for them to move somewhere yeah. else yeah but try and build in the character that they can bring into it as yeah. well. And I think if you do that, we end up joining up different places as well. You know, Glentress has joined Peebles, Tenerithin more and more. I think we could move into, you know, further down the valley, you know, yeah. Selkirk and all, and all that far away as well and stuff. And we get that, it's been an impressive place. Yeah. I think what people forget and all is like the, the trees is a crop like, and it, and this, this is not for an FLS hat, this is me for a farmer's gonna stand. And folk have got to respect that. And we can't just get everything we want, sort of thing. Um, and we've all got to be responsible and all of what we, the actions that we do, like whether it's cycling a pavement. My mum still wonders about the streets when she's near enough 90 now, like, and the last thing you want to see is somebody. And we've all been guilty of it, like. And even the degree of where we're putting trails and like that comes down to the management side of it. And I think probably that's what we're desperately needing just now is. It's the next step, isn't it? Yeah. But brilliant. Thanks very much, Dick. Oh, thank you, Graham. Amazing chat as yeah. always. That's good. <laughs> um, sure everyone's uh, enjoyed this and yeah, it'd be great to give it likes, shares and, and make sure more, most people hear Dick's wise words. Oh, they give advice. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs>